Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Front Range. My name is Johnny. I'm one of our teaching pastors here. So glad to be with you this morning, especially if it's your first time here at Front Range. Or maybe you are new over the last couple of weeks. Thank you for being with us. We hope that this place will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. And man, as Pastor Brandon said, we are just one week out from Christmas Eve. We have five services coming up this week. We want you guys to join us and celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, we, we, we have four next Sunday. We actually have one starting on Wednesday night at our ministry center downtown. And then all of the services, they're going to be the same. So next Sunday in particular, people are, are wondering, if I come at 9 o'clock, if I come at 1030, is it the same service as 4 and 530? Yes, all of the services are going to be the same. Christmas Eve celebration. We would like, uh, we'd, we'd love for folks to get tickets for these services. They're free. We don't need you to bring them to the door or anything like that. Uh, it's just, it just helps us know who, how many people are coming to which ones. Um, and if I could encourage you, if you can come to any service other than the four o'clock, that would be awesome. Everyone wants to come to the four o'clock service. If you show up, we're not turning you away. We're making room for everybody. I'm just asking if it's possible to come at one of the other ones, uh, that would be lovely. And we would also love for you to serve with us. If you're interested in that, or if you want to get tickets online, christmasincastlerock.com is where you can do that. You can get information on serving, get information on tickets, and you can grab some social media graphics. Use that to invite people uh, on your social media feeds. Um, one of the things that we've been doing in this series called The Gift is we've been giving away a gift. So look under your seat. There is a piece of paper somewhere. Some folks have been choosing their seat based on finding the paper. We have a gift card. We have some coffee stuff in here, a map to some Christmas lights. If you found it, throw your hand up. It's around this area over here. Just right up underneath there. Should be, ah, you got it. There you go. Come on up. Come on up. Come, yeah, give it up. Give it up. There you go. You won! You won! <laughs> Congratulations. We did. We, hear, we heard from some people that's like, I'm, I'm checking the seats before I sit down. So that's great. That's great. So we are in this series called The Gift. We've been looking at the gifts given to Jesus by the wise men. This comes out of Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. It says this, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. As we've talked about throughout this series, these gifts were more than just valuable things that Mary and Joseph could sell, although that would have been great. How many, how many parents have had children, you're like, man, I could have used some money for some diapers, all kinds of stuff at the time. They were given these wonderful gifts that they could use, but these gifts also had a spiritual significance. They had a prophetic meaning where they predicted the kind of Messiah that Jesus would be and what he would do, and they fell right in line with Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. One of the most significant places that we find these prophecies is in the book of Isaiah, which was written seven to 800 years before Jesus was born. And we'll look at that here in a few minutes. But man, can you imagine having the ability to predict the future. What if I could tell you who's going to win the Super Bowl next year? I could tell you who is not going to be. <laughs> Broncos. Sorry, sorry. We all know it's true. We know it's true. What if you could do that, though? When I think of this kind of thing, it reminds me of Back to the Future and the Sports Almanac. You guys Back to the Future fans? Any, any fellow nerds? Okay, there you go. There you go. One is a classic. Two is my favorite. We don't talk about three, okay? 
All right, I'm sorry if I offend you. The sports almanac, though, this is in Back to the Future 2. This is what Biff Tannen gets a hold of. Biff Tannen, amazing name, by the way. Uh, He gets a hold of this. He gives it to his younger self. He then goes on to make all these bets uh, because he knew the outcome. He had all the outcomes. He gets rich. He takes over the world. It's the whole thing. Can you imagine the power if you had this and you could go back to like the 70s or the 80s? And maybe if you're a Broncos fan, you might have wanted to find yourself in Vegas in 98, 99, 2016. I'm not saying what you would have done in Vegas. I would never suggest gambling in church. Maybe it just would have been nice to have a sports almanac at the time. You guys didn't find that funny? That's okay. I'll move on. It's all right. It's okay. It's all good. What we're talking about here with these prophecies of Jesus, there's so much more than just predicting the winner of a game. And some of you that know me, you're like, Johnny, where'd you get all that sports stuff? I got it from the sports almanac. I'm not a sports guy, but I got the sports almanac. Gave me all that. So anyway, these prophecies, they talked about what Jesus would do, and they're surprisingly, shockingly accurate in many of them. And we see these gifts given to Jesus representing who he would be, the gold representing Jesus as the king of kings, the frankincense representing Jesus as our high priest. And today we're talking about myrrh, which represents Jesus as our sacrifice. Now, if you're like me, you don't spend a lot of time thinking about things like frankincense or myrrh or really understand what they are. And that's what Google is for. So if you Google myrrh, it tells you that it's a valuable, fragrant, gum-like resin that's used as a perfume, incense, medicine. It's occasionally been used as an anesthetic. We've got a picture of myrrh to show you what it looks like. And you know this is myrrh. Why? Because it says myrrh on there. There you go. I'm just making sure you guys are awake here this morning. So in ancient Hebrew and Egyptian cultures, myrrh was also used in burial rituals as an anointing oil or a perfume for dead bodies. And this gives us a clue to what it meant for Jesus. So in John chapter 19, Jesus has been crucified and Nicodemus brings a mixture of myrrh and aloes, 75 pounds of it. Nicodemus was apparently a a big dude. He could carry all that. He brings 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe to anoint Jesus's body for burial. This gift brought by the wise men was a testimony to Jesus's purpose and his destiny to die on a cross for our sins. And I think talking about myrrh is a perfect setup for our Christmas Eve celebrations over the next week because it reminds us what it's really all about. Yes, Jesus was born, but he was born to die. And in this celebration, we can see how we can have hope in Jesus no matter what we're going through. Many of us, we've been ready for the Christmas season since December 26th of last year, right? You love the lights and the decorations and the music and all of that, and praise God for you. We love you so much. We judge you a little bit, but praise God for you. Um, So you've been ready, man, and, and the joy and the cheer and all of it, that's your vibe and you're down for it, and again, praise God. Others of us, though, we may be entering into the season a little differently. We may be entering in with some anxiety, um, some nervousness. Maybe we're dealing with stuff in this season. Maybe you're entering in uh, this season after experiencing a loss, losing a friend or a family member. Or you may just not be in a great season of life and all of the joy and the cheer just isn't landing for you right now. And I get that. This is my second Christmas after losing my mom, um, and I know what it's like to be entering into this time where there's supposed to be all of this joy, and yet it's sort of outlined with a bit of grief 
and sorrow. And yet, I believe that in the message of Christmas, we see how God meets us in the midst of our pain and our grief, and that there is a, there is a way of being joyful and sorrowful at the same time. We see that God meets us in the midst of our grief and our sorrow and our pain. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, when he describes who Jesus would be and what he would do, there's these sections called the servant songs. We're going to put a slide up on the screen that will give you all of the, the passages where this is. And you can take a picture of that, read those later to get the full picture of what this is about. But this is when God, through the prophet Isaiah, is describing Jesus, what he would do, who he would be. And Jesus is described in the last passage here, the last song, as a suffering servant. He is meant to enter into our pain and our grief and be right alongside with us. We're going to read, actually, in Isaiah chapter 53 a little bit of this. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can grab one at our Connections tent, the blue tent out in the courtyard, or the scripture will be on the screen here. Let's take a look, Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. Says he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. <clears throat> like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed. For our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wow. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, God speaks through Isaiah to describe exactly what he would do for us. And these words refer to the entire reason that Jesus was born, to die. And that's what this gift of myrrh represents, that he would put on flesh, become a man, suffer and die for us. And in facing that death, in submitting to that death, Jesus took on this mantle of the suffering servant. And this truth is one of the most important things that we celebrate at Christmas. No matter what we're facing in our lives, no matter, no matter the depth of grief, pain, loss, the story and the point of Christmas can bring us comfort as we look to our suffering servant for hope. Why? How can we do that? It's because we see the truth here that Jesus carries our pain. Jesus carries our pain. He experienced pain himself, not just the physical pain of crucifixion. He was despised, it says in scripture. He was rejected, held in low esteem, meaning his reputation was drugged through the mud. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends, and in his hour of greatest need, the rest of them left him. And one of them even denied that he knew him at all. And then add on top of all of that, the pain, the physical, mental, spiritual pain of being crucified and dying. Some translations in Isaiah, of Isaiah in, in verse 3 where it says he is a man of suffering. Some of those say he's a man of sorrows. And the Hebrew actually combines the meanings of suffering, sorrow, and pain. You could just as easily say that Jesus was a man of pain. Can you imagine the pain that he went through? Unfortunately, many of us can. We know and we have experienced deep pain 
and loss and suffering. We know the heartache of betrayal and people leaving us. We know the suffering and sorrow that comes with losing a friend or a family member. And like I said earlier, I am with many of you in that during this season. Last year, it was easy for me to be numb, right? And just sort of like make it, fake it till you make it, right? And to get caught up in all the busyness and dive into work. There's a lot of things going on around here during this season. So it was easy for me to just sort of like, yeah, it's sad, but I'm just going to keep moving on and keep going. And, you know, people ask you how you're doing. Like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. But I have come to learn that God meets us in our pain in a way unlike any other. And that when we are numb or avoid it or pretend everything's okay, that we are missing out on an experience with our God that is unlike any other. That when we are honest with him and come to him and say, God, I need you. I've got these feelings, these emotions, this stuff going on. I'm suffering. I need you. He meets us in the midst of that pain in a remarkable way and brings us hope and peace, comfort and joy. So I wanted to enter into this season differently, this, this year differently. And a couple of weeks ago, many of us from here and, and several from outside of our church, we got together for something we called Surviving the Holidays. And we were able to get some tools and tips on how to survive the holidays and also to just share one an, with one another and say, man, I hear what you're going through. I've been there. I, I know what that feels like. And I can't fully describe what it was like to be a part of that, to sit in that moment and literally be sitting at a table and realize God is here. God is in this moment as we are grieving and suffering together. It is a holy moment to sit in the presence of God with our pain and our suffering. And I want to encourage all of us who may be there this season to just have some honesty before the Lord and bring what we're dealing with to him, not numb ourselves or stay busy or pretend that we're okay, but to come to him honestly and go, God, I need you. Because he promises to be with us, to never leave us or forsake us. And we see in the life of Jesus, our suffering servant, that he knows what we're going through and that he wants to be close to us in the hardest moments of our lives. If you're going into this Christmas season after losing a friend or a family member, God is with you. He is with you in that grief. If you're waiting on a miracle, you're praying desperately for God to answer your prayer, and you feel like you're losing hope, God is with you. He hears your prayer. He knows what you're crying out to him for. If you're struggling through the pain of a marriage that didn't make it, there's so many. God is with you. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what happened. If you're wondering when that son or daughter will come home, he knows. God is with you. If you're experiencing physical pain and you're praying for healing, God is with you. He knows the pain that you're experiencing. He's been there. If you're a husband or a dad, I really, I just felt a burden for this this week. If you've been trying to hold it all together, trying to be strong, trying to go through the motions to, to keep the family together, to keep the marriage together. But you feel like you're, you're close to giving up. God is with you. And I want to encourage you to not give up. Men, it is so easy to just get up, go to work, do what we feel like we're supposed to do and to push what we're feeling down. Pretend it's not there, but God sees you. He knows 
what you're longing for. He knows the desires of your heart. He knows what you need. And he is with you. Don't give up, please. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We have an opportunity with our God to come to him with everything that we're dealing with and find rest for our souls. We do not worship a God who's far off and disconnected from the reality of our daily lives. It would be so frustrating and hollow if our God was like, yeah, I'm sorry you're going through that. I don't know what that's like, though, because I'm all-powerful and, you know, all-knowing and whatever. I could fix it because I'm all-powerful, but sorry that you're dealing with that. No, that's not our God. Our God put on flesh. He lived amongst us. He lived a full life and experienced pain losing friends, being betrayed, all of it. He put on that flesh and lived among us to be able to say, I know what you're going through. I know the depth of pain that you're feeling. I know what that feels like. And I can do something about it. Jesus took our pain upon himself on the cross. And through his death and resurrection, he promises an end to pain. He conquers the evil and sin in our world that creates the pain that we experience so that we can have confidence that one day it will end. And yet, we still experience that pain in our daily lives. This is the the frustrating dynamic, this in-between place that we live. Many theologians have described it as now and not yet. We know now that Jesus died on a cross, was resurrected. He conquered death. It is finished. We know that, and yet our bodies still experience the effect of sin. We know that God will cause all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and yet we don't always see the things that we deal with worked out for good. Sometimes those things happen long after the experience. It's hard to live in this in-between, holding on to the promises of God while struggling through the reality of everyday life. But I find comfort in looking at Jesus and his resurrection in these moments. Because here's, here's what happened. Jesus died on the cross, buried for three days, raised to life, and then his disciples are freaking out. They're like, the body's gone. Did you take the body? I didn't take the body. Who took the body? What's going on here? And so Jesus then starts popping up all over the place. He's just like appearing. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. And one of the ways that Jesus proves that it's him is that he shows them the scars of his crucifixion. The, the, The nail marks in his hands. The spot on his side where he was pierced with a spear. Pierced for our transgressions, it says in Isaiah. What does this tell us? It tells us that God is, in, is, is not in the business of erasing our scars. He redeems them. A perfect God submitted himself to death and pain and still bears those scars today so that he can look into our lives and say, I know what you're going through and I'm going to use it. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to make it all right in the end. The scars that we've experienced, the pain that we've gone through, God will redeem it. And yet for now, we live in this in-between state. And I know that pain. I know that tension. In another moment of prophecy in the Bible, the Apostle John, at the end of the Bible in Revelation, he's looking ahead. He sees what's coming. Here's what he tells us about what will happen at the end of all things. 
In Revelation 21, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Christmas, this season, can be so many things to different people, but if nothing else, it is a sufferer's holiday. It is for those of us who experience loss, pain, grief, and suffering, and we can run towards Christmas because of the promise of comfort from our God who can empathize with us. Jesus, the suffering servant, the man of sorrows, carries our pain. During this season, we're given an opportunity either for the first time or the 200th time to come face to face with the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And my prayer is that this Christmas would bring all of the joy and hope and comfort that we long for, but I also pray that it would give us a deeper understanding and gratitude for what it's all about. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're checking things out, you thought maybe you'd give church a shot during this season, We're so glad that you're with us. We're so glad that you're here. God has what you're looking for. He is inviting you into a relationship based on what Jesus has done for you. He sent Jesus to be born in the flesh. And these wise men traveled hundreds of miles to give him gifts that would represent what kind of savior he would be. Gold for a king who would oversee all of creation. He has all authority over everything that we see and experience. They gave him frankincense so that he would be our high priest. He would give us access to God the Father. He would pay the price for us to give us the ability to go to God ourselves in confidence. They gave him myrrh to represent him as our sacrifice, that he would be born to die for you. Every one of us can come to God with our brokenness and find rescue from the things that we've done. We can be restored to a relationship with God. And how you respond to this truth will change everything about your life and eternity. If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you've been following Jesus for years and years. Maybe this is not, you know, this is not new information for you. That's okay. I pray that it would land differently for you this year. And that you would take a moment this week, maybe several times this week, and reflect on what God has done in your life. And spend time in prayer just thanking God for what he rescued you from, the relationships that he's restored, the things he's removed from your life, the ways he's been good to you, the blessings he's given you, and that those moments would lead you deeper in gratitude and ultimately worship of our God. And if you're struggling this season, you're not alone. Our God is with you in the midst of your suffering. We closed with a a few verses from Hebrews Hebrews chapter 4 last week. And I want to close with those again today because they're still so relevant for us as we talk about this. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us, with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time 
of need. Let's pray. God, this moment may be a time of need for us. And we cry out for your grace to help us. We cry out for your mercy. Forgive us of our sins, Father. We come before you with confidence because of what Jesus has done for us, Lord. And as the scripture says, we know that you can empathize with our pain, with our weaknesses, with with what we're going through, God. And so we come before you in this moment with our whole selves, in honesty, with everything that we're dealing with, and we ask for your help. And as we're in this moment of prayer, every head bowed, eyes closed, if you're suffering right now, if you're going through it, man, however you want to define that, if you just, you're struggling in this season, I want to pray for you specifically. I want to just have a moment of unity, you and me. If that's you, you're struggling this season, just slip your hand up so I can know who to pray for and ask God to be so present for you right now. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. God, right now, these folks willing to step forward and say, I need help. I need the Lord. God, I pray that you would just be so real right now that you would speak to their hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would fill them with peace and hope and joy. God, show us the reality of what it looks like to live in the midst of our brokenness and our suffering while still having joy based on what you have done for us. God, I pray that you would just speak right now to everyone who needs a word from you. Help us in this season, God. Draw near to us. Help us in our moments of prayer and reading scripture that we would just sense your loving arms wrapped around us, God. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.